are we making excuses for single-use packaging? Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we explore how circular, regenerative and fair solutions are better for people, planet and prosperity. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll hear from entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and our monthly edition of Circular Insights. Welcome back, it's episode 84, and thanks for tuning in. In today's episode, I'm in conversation with Joe Chidley, a circular economy expert, chemist, herbal botanist, and co-founder of two successful circular economy businesses, Beauty Kitchen, which is on a mission to create the most effective, natural, and sustainable beauty products in the world, and the business we're focusing on today, RiRi. RiRi is a buy-anywhere, return-anywhere, reuse-anywhere alternative to single-use packaging, helping retailers, brands and consumers to switch to reuse and refills across a wide range of products, from milk to moisturisers and pasta to protein. Widely regarded as one of the pioneers of sustainable beauty since founding Beauty Kitchen back in 2014, Joe Chidley has been instrumental in developing the world's first closed-loop solution for beauty packaging and, and has powered the service behind the groundbreaking reprogram and refill stations. Thanks to Joe's leadership, Beauty Kitchen is recognised on the UK's 50 Most Disruptive Companies list and has won numerous industry awards. Joe is now championing a reuse revolution through RiRi, which is a new brand name for Return, Refill, Repeat. Joe talks us through the many barriers or excuses that are blocking progress towards reusable packaging and highlights some of the benefits including customer engagement and carbon reduction. You'll probably be shocked by the proportion of greenhouse gas emissions created by the packaging of everyday products. Joe explains the transformational potential of reusable packaging and explains how RiRi is changing the brief for packaging designers beyond the usual usual questions of can you make it cheaper, can you make it lighter and so on. Joe tells us about the importance of turning competitors into collaborators and why the system, the infrastructure, is the most difficult part of scaling out reusable packaging. We talk about how to make it convenient and attractive for people to return the packaging for another cycle of use. To explain an acronym Joe uses, DRS, that means Deposit Return Schemes, which are regulations that say retailers have to provide take-back options for certain products or packaging, with customers paying a deposit when they buy the original product and getting that deposit back when they return the item. For example, Scotland is introducing a deposit return scheme, so when you buy a drink in a single-use container, you'll pay a 20 pence deposit, which you get back when you return your, your empty bottle or can. That scheme goes live in August 2023. Early on, Joe mentions a figure for the plastic packaging produced by the FMCG, fast-moving consumer goods sector, each year. 
I wanted to give you a link to that number, but in looking for it, I discovered several different numbers for plastic packaging production, all from reputable sources. The figures range from 141 million tonnes to 171 million tonnes a year across all industries. I'll include links to those reports in the show notes. So let's go to the conversation with Joe, and I'll be back after that to share my takeaways from the discussion. Could we start by asking you to give us a quick overview of your first circular business, the Beauty Kitchen? Yeah, sure. If I just take a step back, so the FMCG industry creates over 161 million tonnes of plastic packaging every year. And sadly, as we know, most of this isn't recycled. The global packaging industry is worth $1 trillion annually. 99% is single use and less than 1% of the reusable packaging is smart and trackable. So when I uh, we thought about beauty kitchens, so I'm a, I am a chemist, but my professional background has been in human resources, working for some big brands, including Avon Cosmetics. And we wanted to disrupt the beauty industry. But when it comes to formulations, um, natural sustainable ingredients and formulations although not all of the industry uses them it's something that is really well developed where the opportunity lay for us was definitely within um, the packaging aspect of it and the rest of the supply chain so some of the things that, that we have that lots of other businesses don't is we are the highest scoring B Corp in Europe for personal care and one of the highest scoring in the, in the world. And that means that we can bring um, people, planet and profit together. But alongside that, we're also cradle to cradle certified uh, and 90% of our product range, 10% isn't certified yet because it's new products, but 90% of that product range is cradle to cradle certified. And that's at um, silver or gold level. So it's a very high level for cradle to cradle. Now, these two certifying bodies are not really known within the beauty industry. In fact, they're not really known a lot outside of sustainability, if I'm honest. But they were really important to be able to develop the culture of how we wanted to um, explore circular business models um, as a business, particularly within personal care, because it's a huge industry that has a huge problem with single use packaging. And I think people are really getting interested, aren't they? People are realising that even though you might be able to recycle something, lots of us know that that's not really all that all that good a solution. And lots of us know that things go off in a recycling bin, but then they end up being incinerated. So yeah. even though we're kind of doing the right thing as as um, householders and as citizens, we still feel a bit guilty about it because we know it's yeah. not really the solution. So I think there's a whole growing awareness that we need to do things differently. So, th- so you kind of had the, the beauty kitchen um, with much more sustainable packaging. But what was the spur for starting to offer reusable packaging and what guided your choice of materials? The reusable packaging was always um, something that, that was a foundation of Beauty Kitchen to start with. What we wanted to do was understand reusable packaging within personal care. So Beauty Kitchen is an indie beauty brand. We do skincare, bath and body, but we've had a little bit of fun and play around with with different packaging options. So and that includes 
packaging options with recycled content or that can be recycled. One of the other elements that we did in the early days with Beauty Kitchen, and not a lot of people know this, but there's hundreds of thousands, in fact, millions, probably billions of unused packaging sitting in warehouses waiting to go to either landfill or incineration because brands and retailers have have changed the packaging of a certain product and it sits as grey stock. Sometimes people buy that that stock and, and reuse it, but generally it ends up going, you know, where we don't want it to go. And we introduced in the early days what was called pre-cycled Uh, packaging and that meant it was packaging that other brands and retailers didn't want to use but it was brand new and as a as an an offshoot for Beauty Kitchen we thought well we would at least like to use it once before it then goes into either the recycling system or it goes completely into the bin so that was our starting journey of of playing around with different models within the supply chain and how to reduce waste which ultimately is is part of cradle to cradle principles and, and the circular economy at large with our own brand that's on a small scale, we could also then look at different materials. So we looked at glass, aluminium and stainless steel. And the reason why we wanted to not look at plastic was at the moment we have a monoculture of plastic and it needs disrupting because a monoculture in any format, anywhere, in anything It's just not good. Diversity and celebrating diversity in any format is definitely better. So with Beauty Kitchen, we could do things on a startup scale. And what that that did is it really got us to understand the, the problems within the supply chain, not just from a packaging perspective, but when you get to larger, more global businesses, how they actually have to manage their packaging. So If we look at some of the large personal care organisations, 50% of their um, GHG emissions comes from packaging. I mean, that's just huge. And that was where we realised what we had developed with Beauty Kitchen is something that could then be offered out to the FMCG industry, starting with personal care, because personal care is a a relatively um, straightforward um, way for consumers to be nudged into reusable packaging. The other aspect to that as well is that, that we had the credibility within the industry and we'd also gone through the pain points of the supply chain um, details with regards to moving to a reusable packaging system. Because it's not just about reusable packaging. To be fair, that's actually the kind of easy part. The difficult part is the infrastructure that sits around a reuse provider. Mm. And it was for us, we had to take the time to turn competitors into collaborators. And I guess one of the, um, I'd like to come back to that, uh, competitors to collaborators, because I think that's that's really important. But I guess just to unpack that, um, you know, the, the complexities of the supply chain, there's also the costs, isn't there, if you kind of think about... Um, returning your own empty packaging to the supplier unless you've got a really convenient drop-off point then it means posting it back um, and there's a cost to that um, and potentially damage in transit because is the consumer gonna you know have they got a box to put it in and that applies to everything that might come back does you know not not just packaging but things that might go back for repair if the consumer's chucked away the original packaging then you know it could get damaged in transit and something that only needed a minor repair is now is now trashed so there are all all those challenges all of which add 
cost and complexity to the scenario. And you can imagine it, it's kind of one of the things that puts lots of companies off going down that route. So, okay, so then you got the idea for what for how you were going to do this. So, so what happened next? Well, what we needed to do was get a list of all of the barriers to why people or why businesses wouldn't change from single use packaging to reusable packaging. And I'm being polite by saying it's barriers because really it's excuses because, you know, a barrier is something that you can overcome. And that's why we've used that. So things like reusable packaging is expensive, both from a cost perspective and a carbon perspective. Single use plastic LCAs show lower carbon emissions than single use glass, aluminium and steel. Packaging sheet is part of a brand's identity. You know, how do you get consumers to return empties? How do you get the empties back from stores? How do you wash it? How do you ensure the product quality? Refill in, in store is messy and costly. There was, and that list is not exhaustive. Um, there's a very, very long list of putting up excuses of why reuse um shouldn't or couldn't work or why a brand wouldn't want a retailer wouldn't want to engage in it but what has happened that has definitely supported our solutions to all of those issues and all of those barriers is market conditions so and and you kind of touched on that earlier so consumers they want less plastic consumers are willing to pay more not a huge amount of more but they see more value in reusable packaging because it just feels more valuable and that's one of the that's been one of the key consumer behavior um uh, nudge points for us is when you look at plastic as a material as a consumer you do not see any value in it generally and that's you know been the problem with plastic bags plastic packaging anything it's not really seen as something that you think is of value to you and also alongside the fact that you maybe don't want plastic anymore it doesn't then sit with your values mm. And then the other things, you know, net zero targets, plastic pack reduction targets, you know, brands and retailers want to do the right thing. Plastic tax is almost here. EPR is coming. Carbon tax is likely. You know, DRS systems are going to be launching. So there's there's a huge part of market conditions around making things more circular that have obviously have helped in terms of the the backdrop to the barriers that we've had to find solutions for. Um, So that that has really helped um, to be able to get more brands and retailers engaged in collaborating with each other. Because at the end of the day, this is not around one brand creating a reuse system just for their brand, because that's never going to work. Mm. Because let's face it, you're saying about my shelf with all the different, you know, um, potions and lotions that are sitting behind here. Think about it when you look at an online store, whether that's a supermarket store, you know, bricks and mortar store or a specialist um, store. The the plethora of different brands, if every single one of them created their own reuse system, they would never get to scale. And Mm. as we know, when it comes to the circular economy, that's been the challenge. How do you get things to scale? So what we've done is we've come in to say, here is a solution for packaging because we know that your consumers are looking to buy your particular shampoo or body wash or moisturiser. The packaging element of it is not really that of interest to them. But if we can place a value on that piece of packaging and they become part of the system, 
then they are more likely to return it. Mm. And, and that's where it's about bringing brands, retailers and consumers who want to participate in the circular economy. They just don't have a, um, a way of accessing that. And packaging is a great way and a great, a big opportunity to solve some big problems. Um, and the fact that we have got now some big brands and retailers on board demonstrates that. Mm. And just to go back to what you were saying um, earlier, um, that people want to break, you know, citizens want to break away from all this plastic. So although um, you were just saying that for the you were you were talking to the brands and saying the packaging's not that important, you can flip that and say improving the packaging to be yeah. reusable and better, you know, having a lower impact can add value to your brand because now the person buying it, person making the choice on the shelf is thinking, well, I like both these brands in terms of, you know, what's in the package, <laughs> but yep. this one has now got the packaging that makes me feel much better about buying it, about looking at it every day, um, you know, on my bathroom shelf and so on. So suddenly it's adding additional benefits to the to the, you know and, and kind of credibility to the brand um and i think think the 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 evidence of people's behavior um and there's still an action intention gap but that gap's narrowing and the proportion of people who are more interested and in fact who expect businesses to be doing the right thing it's not that they're looking for the heroes they're kind of shocked when they find out that companies aren't really looking after us and our planet um what you know what most of them are looking after is um keeping costs down and profit up that's that's right so okay so you kind of started to convince some of them that collaboration was the the way forward um and now you've developed a partnership with TerraCycle for the loop prefill system that they're offering through tesco and some other retailers so how did how did all that come about and how does it work in practicality well, and that comes back to the first couple of, of lines um, on this interview. So the $1 trillion annual industry that is single-use packaging, and then there is this small, really small startup community of reuse providers, of which Loop is one of them. You know, Riri is another, which is ours. Jean Bouté, that's based in France. And we kind of then realised that we are a small, st and, and there is a few others that, that we are all in contact with each other because we've got a $1 trillion industry that we are trying to disrupt. And okay, it might be thoughtful disruption, but that, that industry knows that they have a lot of, um, their industry is obsolete mm. and we have to stick together. There has to be, I'm probably not going to pronounce this right with my Scottish accent, but there has to be solidarity with the reuse providers because we have got a huge industry to disrupt. Mm. And that's where the conversations came about, came about with, with, with Luke. And what we've found is that as reuse providers, each of us has a, a certain element um, that we have more expertise in, which you find with any business, yeah. And Loop realised that, that our packaging formats, um, we could do them better. And, and that's where they asked us, well, could you help, 
you know, PZ Cousins as an example, um, with their with their packaging needs, because we, you know we've got a gap in that, and it's something that you guys can do. And I think you know having that collaboration within your own industry and demonstrating how competitors can be collaborators, it's then a simpler model to then go to big brands and retailers to say if we can do it you guys can do it and if you do it that means that we can leverage this opportunity within a circular that has become more and more compelling with the market conditions to make everything more circular Mm. yeah i think you're right and i think people and not not everybody but businesses are, are certainly starting to see um, that the winds of change are blowing and whether they're looking at it from a um, you know the risks of EPR taxes and DRS deposit return schemes and things being outlawed and kind of looking at that as a threat or whether they're perhaps more engaged with what people are thinking both their employees and their and their customers um, so there's kind of these these Several forces, really, but those are two that that kind of come to mind. Um, so either of those can start to really pull at the, um, you know, uh, the lure of the of the status quo, <laughs> yeah. and get people really thinking. Actually, this, you know, this is a real, real and present danger um, to our model. Yeah, and the the other thing is, so the cost. So, so when we have been talking to any brands and retailers, because we're a circular business, you can't sometimes you can't talk to them in circular terms because you know they just they're just not engaged with it you have to talk in linear terms and the linear terms is about uh, cost efficiencies more profitability in a nutshell and that's really what how we have won the business that we've won so far because rather than communicating the plethora of stuff of why it's such a good thing to do the circular business model we've talked to them in the linear terms got them over the line in terms of engagement and then said and it just so happens that it gives you all of this other stuff yeah yeah here's (laughs) here's three pages for your csr or esg report as well um yeah i think you're absolutely right that that you know it's about the hard numbers of the business case um and even if you can't make the business case sort of for day one if they can look at the trends and kind of think well you know let's try this with a couple of product lines or let's try it with um one particular country that we're in and see how it goes um, and then realise that they get better engagement and better feedback from customers, then that all starts to flesh out the business case, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, we've got some great data that's happened um, where, and I'm not going to say that the particular brand or the particular product line, but it's their lowest selling skew within within a certain category. And they moved it to reusable packaging and it's now their highest selling skew. Now, it's relatively small scale because it's only in 10 stores. Yeah, so to be fair. However, from that basic data, they know, one, that they are selling more of their own product because it's in reusable packaging, but they are getting consumers to switch brands to theirs Yeah. Um, with no marketing. All they've done is changed it to reusable packaging. That's an amazing story. And, and 
um, that's one of the things that I encourage companies to do is think about how could we pilot this you know with with one niche group of customers or with one niche product and and I guess it kind of speaks to the lack of faith that the company had in, in whether this would work that they chose their yeah, lowest selling skew um, but you know it's kind of it's about baby steps isn't it and it's about building the case internally in the in the business with all the skeptical people you might yes. have one person who's really got gut feel that this is the way forward but those kind of stories and that kind of evidence is just a brilliant way to to suddenly get other people to um you know stop making excuses as you said <laughs> and yes. think about the direction the future's really going in so from a from a practical perspective um, you know, thinking about your own brand, Riri, or um, the partnership with with um, the Loop Prefill system. How does it work for the people buying the products? You know, what do I need to do differently? So the only um, so if we take Riri, that is replacing single use packaging. If you think of a store, let's say a bricks and mortar store, just from a visual perspective, you go into a supermarket, a grocer, and you go to the personal care aisle and you will see the option to buy a product in a single use package or a reusable package. And, you know, it's as simple as taking that, paying for it, and then what will happen is that you will have um, a QR code. Uh, there's a variety of different coding systems that we are trialing and utilizing at the moment, but the QR code is the, the simplest format. You basically take a picture of that on your phone and it will take you direct to the RERI website. You either sign up for an account or you don't and, and you're a guest and that's okay. But that registers your piece of packaging you then take your product home, you use the shampoo, or rather everyone in the house uses the shampoo, it's finished. You then return it either to your point of purchase or you return it to other participating retailers, um, which include Collect Plus, which have you know 60,000 um, uh, convenience stores across the UK. Or you can also use Royal Mail. Um, we obviously encourage it to be the the easiest most convenient for you as the as the user um and the less distance that it travels the better um and you then scan the qr code that's on the return box and scan your bottle again and put the bottle in uh, and that's it so that so everything will be on your own account and that account can you know be registered and it tells you everything that, that you need to know mm. so have you had to pay a deposit when you bought the the packaging was that all part of the sorry when you bought it, the product was that all part of the product price it is it's it's more of a borrow anywhere so what we don't it's different to a deposit return scheme because you don't get your money back but your money stays within a coupon and that's either digital or it's a hard copy coupon depending on the store or how you want to get that coupon um, for most people, most the majority of people that, that that shop generally have a smartphone, so it tends to be a digital coupon that we found. Ninety nine percent of people take digital coupons over the hard copy, um, and that means that you stay part of the re re system. But you can use that coupon on any other re re you know 
um, packaging. So whether you buy from one brand one day and then you buy from a coffee shop the next day, for example, you can use that coupon in participating um, retailers. Right. So let me make sure I've understood this. So um, I've kind of borrowed my first coupon and then I return the packaging by one of the methods yeah. Um, and that gets my coupon back into credit. Yes. Um, and how how would I use that then in a coffee store? Does it give me a a, a discount next time? So, for example, does... so we're we're currently working with a nationwide coffee provider to to um, uh, provide uh, reusable coffee cups. So if you bought your shampoo, for instance, in a, in a retailer, you then return your empty shampoo bottle at your uh, coffee shop the following you know, few weeks. You would then scan it, the, the coupon that you have um, on your digital device, you can then use against your reusable coffee cup. Right. And okay. that's where, you know, it's about this borrow anywhere, reuse anywhere concept that you have. And as as we're starting small, so the, so the majority of our products at the moment in reusable packaging are within personal care and home care. However, we are currently working with, you know, all aspects and categories within a grocery store. So that's from personal care, home care to speciality milks to alcohol, beers, wines and spirits to um, dried goods to fresh goods it's it's everywhere in the store outside of uh, of frozen food yeah um all the way through to working with different coffee shop brands because we want this to become part of somebody's lifestyle mm. where you can basically you know be part of the re-re system to participate in reusable packaging wherever you require it Mm. So how many times do you go on, you know, you well, maybe not so in the last two years, but it's starting to 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 be um, more regular. You go on a business trip and you get on the train and, you know, you have to use a single use coffee cup. Mm. Well, really, you shouldn't have to if, if you're part of a system and they have the reusable coffee cups there. But what you do is you then finish your coffee on the train. Yeah. And you should be able to just leave your coffee cup there because it's not it's not convenient necessarily for you to carry it around. And ultimately, that's the future. That's what we want to create. We want to create a re-re world where it's convenient for you just the way that you would use single use packaging throughout your daily life, that that isn't then changed to reusable packaging. Mm. Yeah, you're, you're right with the coffee cups because, um, you know, I always take my own reusable cup, yeah. um, you know, which has started off with my own coffee in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then when I get to the other end and I want to, um, you know, maybe have peppermint tea or whatever, I'm now thinking, right, where am I going to go to wash this coffee cup out? Yeah. Or do I yeah. do I beg the um, the server serving staff at the <laughs> wherever I'm buying something from that? Would yeah. you mind washing this out? Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's not it's, um, you know, you have to, you have and to that's try where hard. if you can make um, FMCG, so fast moving consumer goods, is all about convenience and mm. accessibility. Mm. That's where the industry came from, you know. So we have to complement that packaging that fits into that that consumer mindset because we're not going you're not going to get someone to do huge leaps. It just it mm. just doesn't happen. Some of the ways to describe it is. 
if you think of self-serve tills, yeah, when they first came about, you know, people were like, oh, right, okay, I'm not really sure. How am I supposed to do that? And you maybe saw it in one store and then you didn't see it again for maybe another two weeks. Once you saw it more regularly, it then just became a thing. That's that's that is how mm. you prefer to shop. Not for everyone, and that's okay. It's about diversity. It's about giving access and convenience to how you live your life. Yeah, you're right. It, it's about making it easier and easier for people to get it back into the system. And as you say, um, you know, through the smartphone app and so on, nudging and helping people keep it at front of mind. You know, I think there is this sort of you know subconscious. Um, discomfort that a lot of lot of us have got, and when you start to make those changes, those discomforts are allowed to surface, and then you realise yeah. that you've been feeling bad, you know, a bit, a bit yeah. about this all along. Okay, yeah. great. So um, along the along the way, then you've you've got some really important certifications, including cradle to cradle certification, and you become a B Corp. So. Tell us a bit about why those things were important to you and what difference it's made. So when we started Beauty Kitchen, uh, I, I am a bit of a sustainability nerd, even though I absolutely love the beauty industry. And I'm a big reader as well. So I had read um, about B Corp and the, B, the original B Corp handbook. And I'd read the Cradle to Cradle books before that because they were, they were out before the, the B Corp book. And when we started the business, you know, I just saw it as good business to look after equal weighting within people, planet and profit. That just made sense to me, you know. So um, before we certified, so we were one of the early certifier um early certifications in the UK. So it was 2017 when we certified. And I think at that time there was only about 30 odd B Corps within the UK, whereas now it's it's well over uh, 500. And when we went through the certification, it was relatively straightforward. We passed first time, we got 89.3 from the, you have to get 80 as the score, um, because we'd already, you know, had those principles and were working to those principles when we were starting up. Cradle to Cradle was a longer term play because um, it is a more stringent, particularly when it comes to your supply chain, it is a much more stringent um, certification. And the thing with Cradle to Cradle, it's around the triple top line. So it's looking at equity, ecology and economy alongside B Corp, which is people, planet and profit. And what they mean by that is that if you design products with circularity in the beginning, yeah, then the everything else then then falls through. But if you've already got products that are already designed, you, you obviously have to make those changes and tweaks that will then get you that cradle to cradle certification. So it was a it was a slightly different um, way uh, of doing that certification. But what for me that means that we have not only designed our business models, but we've designed our products and services that fit into um, the circular economy. Uh, and that just gives me the framework. It means that culturally, you know, everyone knows the standards that we live by here. And as we grow and get bigger, if that foundation is obviously really strong, 
um, and people understand that, then when new people join, that then gets assimilated into how we we do things because we've never run a, a linear business. It's just not who we are. And it was it would never be what we would want to be. I don't think it makes any sense, either commercially or environmentally, to continue to take finite resources and not replenish or regenerate them. That's just plain stupid, because ultimately, at some point, those resources are going to run out. Mm. Um, you know, so if we think of it in financial terms, if you've got a bank balance of 100 quid and you keep taking money out, then you won't have any left. Yeah. So you need to do <laughs> no, something just, to put it back in. <laughs> exactly. It's just such a no-brainer, isn't it? But people uh-huh. always think that, you know, oh, well, I'm only, only a tiny bit and, you know, somebody else will, will sort it out. And, um, um, so, yeah, so if, I can, of... if I can bring that to life, so blue glass is beautiful. Yeah, it is. It's also very expensive. So blue glass, the reason why we use it is it protects the essential oils in our formulations from beauty kitchen skincare perspective. And blue glass, it also just looks great. It, it, you know, it looks of value. But blue glass, not only is it commercially expensive, yeah, it's also environmentally expensive because of the, the cobalt mining that has to happen. It just didn't make sense to me that this blue glass, once the consumer has used it, they will put it in the recycling bin, but it's not recycled unless it goes to a specialist recycler, of which there is very few of for blue glass. It will not be recycled, but even more so, why would you want to crush the blue glass down yeah, and then build it back up again. That just doesn't make sense when it's easily washed and put back into a system. And, and simple things like that just create such opportunity for not just your own business, but the supply chain, the, the supply chain at large. Because ultimately, we are a product as a service business. That blue glass should just be um, leased throughout the system. The cobalt should just be leased throughout the system if we could get it back in yeah and um yeah that that um reminds me of something um Walter Stahl was talking about in terms of um leasing minerals and um one of his um colleagues was doing some work on that particularly for the African countries so this whole concept of yeah. not selling the you know the the very very resources at the start of the supply chain so yeah i think i think um maybe in five or ten years time that'll start to permeate uh, permeate into business models as well so um what's in the pipeline for the next phase then because um having heard all the brilliant stuff you've done so far i can't believe you're stopping there (laughs) so what's what's planned next (laughs) So we um, recently were awarded an Innovate UK grant and for the wider, you know, more global audience, that is a huge demand signal from, you know, the UK government in effect um, to demonstrate reusable packaging systems at scale. So that demand signal has given us a great foundation, not just both financially, but from a credibility perspective that our systems um, is being held up as, you know, one of the the systems that has worked a lot of these, you know, um, excuses 
uh, out. The other aspect is that we've been <coughs> part of the Circulars Accelerator, which is sponsored by the World Economic Forum and the um, and Accenture in terms of a consulting firm. And the World Economic Forum produced a report, probably it's about two years old now, called The Future of Reusable Consumption Models. And you can definitely see where we sit as a business in terms of reuse providers, but then all of the infrastructure that sits around that. And also um, within Europe, personal care and home care have the highest potential to uh, get consumers to be able to make that change to reusable packaging. We are in the final stages as well of um, announcing, you know, a large uh, national retailer that will give us that, give consumers that accessibility and convenience of being able to return empty packaging. Um, and also, it also reassures the brands that we're working with that this isn't something that's in its pilot phase anymore it's very much going to its scale-up phase so you know I was asked the question at um the circular shift just yesterday uh, no the day before around if I fast forward to two years what would I come back uh, you know to, to talk about and for me in two years quite easily I can see where if you go wherever you shop, whether that's online, at convenience stores or, you know, large bricks and mortar grocers, the high street or shopping malls, that you will see the majority of your um, everyday consumer products in reusable packaging formats. And, and that's really the dream. And I think that's how quickly it can happen. Yeah, I think you're right, because, as you say, the the kind of methodology is yep. in place the collaborations are in place and now we're at that sort of tipping point um where the brands that aren't already thinking about this are going to be disrupted by those that are um and then everybody gets on board really quickly don't they so yeah um, yeah let's let's put that in the diary then to check in and and um see who's late to the party <laughs> yeah well we, we were asked the other day uh by a, a large global business um, how easy it would be for us to get a billion bottles into the system. So that just, you know, that that is a conversation that is happening. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's just so exciting, isn't and it? And that's just for the UK, I might add. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah, exciting times. So looking looking back on those um, eight years, then since you've since you found a beauty kitchen ahead of uh, founding Riri. What surprised you in the process of, of building the two businesses? That is a great question. What surprised me? It surprised me that there wasn't more active collaboration, if I'm honest, mm -hmm. particularly when you have a really huge established single use packaging industry yeah that that needs disruption and although technology you know the digital age is definitely making reusable systems more accessible to businesses the 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 jigsaw puzzle had many different pieces missing from it and i think that probably surprised me the other thing that surprised me was 
this, and, and I think it's a Greta Thunberg quote where no one's too small to make a difference. And that's really been true when it comes to Beauty Kitchen. We are a very small, self-funded business that's based, you know, south of Glasgow in Scotland. You know, we're not in the hub of, I don't know, New York or wherever. Uh, and, you know, we have just focused in on building these relationships within the infrastructure and asking different questions of the infrastructure. So we are asking aluminium packaging manufacturers to make the packaging more durable, heavier, more resilient. They have never ever, ever been asked that question. They've only ever been asked, can you make it thinner? Can you make it lighter? Can you make it cheaper and basically less durable? So it's been fascinating to talk to much, much more larger businesses, but more experienced businesses. And we've just come at it from a different angle. The other thing that surprised me is that once that active collaboration has been facilitated, how quickly things can move. And that's where, you know, that human element of solving problems, we just love. And, and that really, that's what gets me out of bed every day. Fantastic. So some, some real um, gems in there. Um, and I'll, um, I'll look up that quote and because um, I, I want to use it. So I'll check if it's if it's Greta. Um, and so we're not we're not um, cutting her out of the loop. So um, we might you might have covered this in the in the last question but if you were talking to another business that wanted to start something or to go circular and I'm sure you've had these conversations lots of times in terms of going circular then what's the number one top tip that you try and share or the kind of you know the 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 mindset change what's the one thing that you want them to take away to start getting them on on board with the circular approach the generally have to give something to get something back. So we've been really open, possibly too open sometimes. We've had that feedback of, of giving solutions to problems rather than asking for something in the, in the first instance. And then I am going to add something else to that. When you're talking, you're then wanting to give your circular solution to a linear business. Do not talk to them in circular terms. I think I touched on that earlier talk to them in linear terms because that's what they understand and that's what they feel comfortable in yeah and, and at the end of the day we all want to be included and we all you know want to be uh, respected and, and loved for the things that we do so you you have to be mindful that this is not around telling people how bad they are at what they currently do <laughs> it's switching it on its head and saying, look at all the great stuff that you do, but look how much it could be better. Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> and I think we were talking about the linear terminology and the, the sort of linear mindset um, before we press record. And um, we were talking about the business case and making the business case in terms of, um, you know, increased sales or lower costs. Um, and I always, I'm always nervous about using the um, increased sales because it's one of my bugbears that, you know, modern business is just focused on selling more and that bigger is yeah. better. So I guess we can kind of flip that around a bit and say, um, you know, it's about increasing your market share at the expense of, um, you know, less switched on competitors or it's about um, reducing your marketing spend because now people are loving your product so much that they're telling everybody and becoming net promoters. So there are all these kind of ways of... Um, 
improving the the ability of your business to survive and thrive um, that don't necessarily involve getting more people to cons- consume yet more stuff. I, I mm. agree. Um, so it's about increasing profitability, mm. but it's also about de-risking new opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. So if I think of packaging that's more durable, one of the other questions that we have asked is about refurbishment. Yeah. So they've, you know, packaging manufacturers have never been asked that question before. How would I refurbish a piece of packaging? Well, why not? You know, and that is a that's a big that could be a big opportunity. And that's not about selling more. That's about selling less. But it's about keeping things in the system because of the other services, again, very circular, the other services that you can offer. Mm. Yeah, great point. And yeah, kind of a refurbishment. And um, Walter Stahl has uh, talks about the era of R, which is obviously, you know, resale, remanufacturing, re- um, recycling and so on, but also yeah. the era of D. Um, so delamination, um, you know, de, um, de-assembly, that kind of disassembly. Yep. Yep, um, disassembly but there's also yeah. uh, de-logoing, um, you know, and removing the removing the labels from things. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, Joe, thinking about your values, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, we could just hear with everything you said that what you've what you've done in the in the business is very driven by your personal values so which one do you think helps to move us towards a a better world one that's more sustainable and fairer for me it is about action and maybe that's the you know the kind of founder entrepreneur I, i like to try things out quickly you know, to de-risk them. But talking and being theoretical and conceptual is amazing. And I get that because I love to, you know, dream. But making something, even if it's not that perfect, but it's a, it nudges the dial. For me, that's what's really important. So that action, that that dream maker point is, is really important and getting people just to be prepared to fail. You know, but it's not really failure. It's then that next iteration, Mm. because the quicker that we get iterations within the circular economy, think of think of how quick iterations are in the in technology now. You know, if we start thinking in the same terms with circular and having iterations and learning from what's gone, how quickly and at what pace could we move to a circular world? Yeah, it's like the um, um, inventing the first light bulb or whatever it was more than a thousand different designs before the right mix of of yeah, um, yeah. chemicals and and um and structure and so on excellent thank you so joe who would you recommend as a future guest for the circular economy podcast so i think we've got i've got two in mind uh the first would be bill mcdonough who is one of the founding fathers of Cradle to Cradle in the circular economy. So obviously him and Michael Brungart were the the original authors of Cradle to Cradle as a book, which then evolved into um, how would this work in the real world? So they took those concepts and and, and made it into something that is now a certifying body and and separate from what they currently do as individuals. And you then have the Cradle to Cradle Institute. So my second recommendation would be Christina Raab, who is the the president and CEO of of the Cradle to Cradle Institute. I think 
both those individuals would give a, a, a holistic viewpoint of both theory, conceptions and, and action, which is, you know, what I like. <laughs> Excellent. And we'd love you. to hear. Yeah, um, and I, I'd love to talk to them. So thank you. They, they sound like excellent conversations to be um, to be having. And lastly, Joe, how can people find out more about you, about Beauty Kitchen, about Riri? So I am still the only Joe Chidley on LinkedIn. So people can find me on LinkedIn. That's my uh, um, uh, married name. And um, our websites are just um, Riri uh, and Beauty Kitchen, so they're easy. And we're also on social. Um, but if people want to find out more about, you know, reuse in particular uh, and how that relates to FMCG, then contacting me with a note on LinkedIn um, is definitely helpful. And I like to share our learnings as much as far and wide as we as we can. Brilliant. Thank you. And we'll put a link to the report that you mentioned from the World Economic Forum, the future of re reusable consumption. Put a link to that in the show notes as well um, with all those other links. So, Joe, thanks very much for an illuminating conversation. I wish we could have talked for longer. I'd love to catch up in a couple of years and uh, find out whether you've hit the billion number and who the late adopters are, who we can name and shame for not getting on board with the circular economy uh, for packaging. <laughs> so thank you very much. Excellent. I look forward to that. Thank you very much for having me. As Joe said, there's a clear need for an absolute reduction in single-use packaging. The consumer goods industry produces hundreds of millions of tonnes of plastic packaging each year, with packaging being a major part of the carbon footprint for many companies. So there's a massive opportunity to provide better solutions. Joe highlighted the need for infrastructure changes to provide more sustainable options and says it's time to turn competitors into collaborators. Her mantra is, it's all about reuse. We know there are many serious issues, including the risk of packaging getting into rivers and oceans and then into our food chains. Reusable and refillable packaging options are widely agreed as the best solution, but, as Joe said, there are lots of perceived barriers and excuses stopping brands from getting on with this. Refilling in store is messy and costly. And there's a perception that reusable packaging is expensive, both from a cost and a carbon perspective. There are many more challenges, with questions like, how do you get consumers to return empties? How do you get the empties back from stores? How do you wash it? How do you ensure the product quality? To address these pain points, RiRi has created a whole system approach to enable the change, so you can buy anywhere, return anywhere and reuse anywhere. Retailers sell products in smart, returnable packaging that can be returned for reuse or for in-store refills. Brands switch from single-use packaging to least returnable packaging, in the knowledge that it's safe and circular and consumers buy the products they want, where they want, in packaging that they pay for once, which then allows them to reuse forever, reduce plastic and earn rewards. Return stations are being launched across the UK in retail stores, shopping centres, universities, train stations, major office, office complexes and many more locations. Any empty rebottle can be taken to any return station, and you'll receive a money-off coupon for your next product in a rebottle. 
A standout moment for me was hearing Joe explain how a pilot for reusable packaging transformed sales, with the lowest selling product in one category becoming the highest selling product when it was in reusable packaging, with no marketing. Customers want these solutions. They'll change their habits to help protect and regenerate our planet and to make a better world for future generations. As Joe said, people see more value in reusable packaging because it just feels more valuable. A quick update from me at Rethink. I feel like I've gone backwards two steps with the book. It feels like I've designed a garden for someone, sketched out all the plants, the pathways and so on, and now I realise the layout's not working for the client. There's a big rethinking process underway. So that's it for this episode of the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you to our guest this week, Jo Chidley of RiRi, for sharing her time. And thank you for listening. Thanks also to Cressa Wesling of Elvis and Cressa and Lisa Reddington of Beauty Kitchen for making this episode possible. You can find out more and follow Jo Chidley on social media. And as usual, you can check out all the links we mentioned in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. I believe we can all help make the circular economy happen through the choices we make at work and in our everyday lives. Buying pre-used, keeping what we have for longer, repairing it and making sure it has another life. Those choices send strong signals to companies and governments, making it clear we all want a better, circular and regenerative future. We can all help spread the word too. Talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. Email a screenshot of your review to podcast at rethinkglobal.info and we'll give you a shout out on the show. We've made it easier for you to find episodes on the key circular economy strategies or for a market sector or specific countries. Check out our interactive podcast index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at circulareconomypodcast.com and every episode includes an interview transcript. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one and two or buy a copy of my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business. It takes you through the concepts and practicalities, with hundreds of real examples from all around the world. The Circular Economy podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, helping you succeed with circular. You can find information on our talks, workshops, coaching and advice, and circular economy resources at rethinkglobal.info or connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn. <music>